You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. I want to start with prayer first. Um, the, the topic we're actually dealing with today is, um, is quite a challenging topic, actually. Um, but we'll come on to it. So, Father, we'll just give you this time. Holy Spirit, I really reach out to you. You came, Jesus, to set us free. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, today now to help us, to come and fill each one of us. And I pray you'd help us to be set more free today. Give us ears to hear. You speak into our hearts. You speak into our minds. And may you set us free. Amen. Right, let's read the passage. So this is the second in a series about Joseph. Um, Clive did the first one. The service, the server, series title is Life in Technicolor. Um, so we'll read the, the second part of Joseph's story. This starts in Genesis 37, starting at verse 12, um, and goes on to the end of this chapter. So I'll actually finish with verse, uh, start with verse 11. It's not part of my bit, but it's actually quite helpful. So, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he set off for the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What's he looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are, where they're grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. Before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into these cisterns and say that a a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. "Uh, Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their caramels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? 
Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The Bible is a remarkable book. One of the reasons it's a remarkable book is because it tells it straight. It tells us the truth about what went on. Now, there are loads of books written and loads of books written about heroes and you know, key people. Very often they will miss out the negative bits. They will big up the big bits and they will take out the negative, but the Bible itself doesn't do that. The Bible was written by 40 different people under the inspiration of one God. And the Bible was written with a clear intent in mind. God wanted to tell us about him and about the opportunity to have a relationship with him. He wanted us to know why we've been created, what it was all about. And he decided to use these 40 individuals to actually share the story. Now, he wanted them to share his heart, so he gave them things, he said things to them and asked them to write them down. But he also wanted them to be honest about themselves and indeed the people they knew. So the Bible writes down and tells stories as they are because it's vital for us. Because when we read stories like this, I hope, if you think about it, you actually start to see some things reflected about yourself. I know I certainly do. I'm one of four brothers, so I have quite a lot of family interaction. I know what it's like when brothers tussle. I know what it's like when brothers get jealous of each other and do things that perhaps, ideally, they wouldn't necessarily do. I can see my family very much displayed here. This one's bigger, but my family is definitely represented here, and I can even see myself in here. And we'll talk about that in a little while. If we look at the story, the detail of this story is remarkable. Let's first of all look at the brothers. The brothers here are clearly not portrayed in the greatest light. These are the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. This is meant to be the religious book plus of Israel and God got them to put down that the founding fathers were jealous enough of their younger brother 
to throw him into a well as the good thing to do. The thing they actually wanted to do was kill him. They were so jealous, they wanted him dead. So sick of him, they wanted him dead. Now, I don't know about you, I don't always get on that well with my brothers. There have been times we have come to blows. But I never wanted any of them dead. That's really quite an extreme version. But they did. And indeed, throwing him in the system, you know, what, Reuben saying he wanted to save them, he said throw him in the system, knowing the system didn't have any water in it. But the other ones were chucking him in to leave him. They threw him in on the assumption that he'd die in there. He'd die thirst or he'd die of starvation. Just rather less. Doesn't feel quite the same as sticking a knife in. Sticking a knife in takes something. Chucking him in a hole in the ground and leaving him to die. It's quite cowardly in a sense. Reuben was hoping to trick them. Reuben himself wanted to con his brothers, trick them, and go and save Joseph afterwards. So the dynamics of this family are really quite grim. These are not superheroes. And these are the people who are the, the, you know, the fathers of the nation who are supposedly should be emulated, but the Bible tells it as it is. People, real people, with real flaws, real aspects of their life. So Joseph's in the well. Now, interestingly, we do not actually read anything about Joseph, do we? This is all talking about Joseph. We don't hear him at all in this. We don't know what he's feeling. We don't know what he's thinking. We can imagine what he might be feeling and thinking. We can start to play it out. But can I say that Joseph is the hero of this story? And if you go back to the bit that, um, that Clive did last time, he's not actually a very pleasant young man. This is a guy with a head that is big enough to fill a room. He gets, he gets, you know, God comes along and gives him a dream. Something for him to aspire to as a young man. One day you are going to be a leader. A, such a, a leader of such a position that even your family will bow down to you. Instead of being incredibly grateful for that to God, instead of going, well, that's remarkable, I can hardly believe that you'd say such a thing to me, Father, he goes and uses it as a weapon against his family. I'm going to be a leader. You're going to bow down to me. I'm in charge. You're scum of the earth. Yeah. You will serve me. I'm not surprised that the brothers who remember all these words later on then said, well, we'll see what comes of his dream now. Let's see how he gets out of that well. He was egotistical. He did not have to say that. There is nothing where God told Joseph, go and tell your family. How many times did God speak to Jesus and Jesus didn't go and tell instantly what God had said 
If God gives us a word for ourselves, we don't have to go and use it as a weapon to beat people around with. If you're skillful and have a particular talent, you don't have to make it out so that you big yourself up and you put other people down. Actually, we can be gracious to each other. Joseph was an arrogant young man. Many of us have been. But that's what he was. The hero of the story, an arrogant, self-centered young man. So when he was put in the well, if that had happened to me, I'd have gone, there you go, they're tricking me again. Just winding me up. They stuck me down here so I could stew down here for ten, you know, an hour or ten minutes or whatever. So then they go and have lunch. Yeah, okay, so they're not going to give me any lunch. Right, how long are they going to leave me down here? Now, you'd never have thought that he was going to be killed. I, don't, I just, yeah, I can't imagine couldn't imagine my brothers chucking me. I could, well, I could imagine them chucking me down a well. I couldn't imagine them leaving me there. Okay. So, so I'm assuming that Joseph was down this well, pondering, pondering how long he was going to be stuck down here. You know, probably going, I'm going to tell my dad. <laughs> They'll sort them out. They'll know about this later. Right. So eventually, when the rope gets lowered down, because... Um, you know, Judah says, actually, let's flog him as a slave. He's, he's not surprised. It's bound to happen. So he's coming up the well, probably shouting at them, going, I'm going to tell Dad, you'll know all about this. The shock would have been when they sold him. Because he knew what being sold was. He lived in a culture where slavery meant you were now somebody else's possession. And when they sold him, he knew that that meant that person could kill him at will. He didn't have to justify killing him. He could just do it. He was now his property. They took his coat off him. They could have taken everything. In fact, many slaves went around naked. Surprise, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he wasn't stripped. Doesn't say that here, but the culture of the time, slaves were just slaves. They weren't something to be respected. So how Joseph was treated, we don't know. But that would have been the point at which he would realise that something serious is going on. Judah says, let's get some money for him. But the amount of money he's given, the 20 shekels, is not even the price of a slave. He was undercut. Because when Moses goes on later on, and um, you know, it's many hundreds of years later, but they didn't particularly have the same life, like inflation that we've got. The slave price, price was 30 shekels of silver. So they got a bargain with Joseph. 20 shekels of silver didn't go very far with his brothers. This was all meaningless. This was all about vengeance. This was all about revenge. They wanted to say to Joseph, let's see your dreams come true now. So this is not a pleasant story, but it's a true story. It's an honest story. So what... What can we, what can we as a group of people learn from this? Let me ask a question which I, I'll answer about myself in a second. You ponder about it for yourself. What drives you? 
if you're being honest, and I'm not asking you to call it out, for yourself, what drives you? What is the thing when you're most under stress pops up? What's the thing when you're tired and you don't want to do it, but you know you have to do it, pops up, making you do things? When you're going to do something that you shouldn't do, what is it that makes you do it? Or encourages you to do it? And don't say Satan. Cop out. You have your own will. I have my own will. I'll start. And I'm not, again, I'm not expecting anybody to actually call out. The biggest driver that has been in my life before, and even for many, most of the time with Jesus, and even today it still impacts me, is fear. Fear. Fear of what? Fear of death? Absolutely. Fear of being embarrassed? Totally. Fear of what other people might think of me? Fear of what other people might say? All sorts of fear. And it has driven me to behave in all sorts of different ways at different times. Things that really I shouldn't have done, I've done because I'm afraid. And things that I should have done, I didn't do because I was afraid. And I'd love to say I'm totally free, but it's not true. I'm no longer a slave to fear, yes, but at times I give it back. I'm glad to say that as I go through life, I'm less fearful than I was. Oh, no, that's not true. I actually think I'm just the same thing. I don't allow it to control me because the Holy Spirit gives me the power to say no. But I'm still... It's still there. What drove these lot? So the brothers were driven by jealousy. And look what they did. The father was driven by some twisted love for a wife. And so he spoilt her son. Put him in a position that he should never have been in. Why on earth did his dad give him that coat? I've had five kids. What a stupid thing to do. No. <laughs> Very good. Give one of them something special and treat the other ones less. Now, I'm not saying you have to treat all the children the same. But if you're going to bless, you should bless all five in one way or another, at one time or another. They should all know the special at different times and different ways. Getting one and making him special all the time, well, you might as well just stick a grenade in there and wait for it to go off. And he knew that. You're not, you're not dad of 13 kids and not know that. So why? Why did he do that? He did it for some sort of twisted reason about Rachel and, and you know, how he felt about her. And somehow this is the love child So he's, been, he's driven that and he's now spoiled Joseph, who's now being driven by ego. Thinks he's something that he isn't. 
So we've got all these different dynamics going on, but each of those people are not free. They are slaves to what's driving them because they gave themselves to it. They gave themselves to the jealousy. The jealousy drives them. Joseph gives himself to the ego, so it drives him. I allowed fear to drive me. But we have something that's wonderful that they were to discover. God loves us. And he loves us so much that he wants to set us free. When he says, worship me and worship me only, it's not because he's got some type of inflated ego. It's because he's the only, the only being in the whole of the universe who's not tainted by sin, who knows what is the right thing to do, who knows what is the best thing in our lives, and he wants to share it with us, and he wants us to focus on him. Not because he wants to be adored and he needs the praise of people. No, because he wants the best for us. He loves us so much. He wants us to know what is the way to freedom and to be the greatest we can be. And the only way we can be the greatest we can be is to listen to him, to do what he says, to follow him, to imitate him, to love him. The worship is him saying, look, focus on me, me, because I can help you. I can show you the way forward. Don't focus on the hate. Don't focus on the fear. Don't focus on the jealousy. Don't focus on the ego. Don't focus on the sex drive. Don't focus on getting rich. Don't focus on whatever else. Don't focus on having to be better than other people. Don't focus on the fact that you feel inferior, so now you're going to behave as though you're, you know, you're, you've got to prove all the time that you're right and nobody else is ever right and you've got to be right. He wants to set us free. We talk about modern day slavery, 40 million people. I'm telling you there's 7 billion people in slavery. And the only ones that are not in slavery are the ones that have given themselves to Jesus Christ. And even those, even we, keep putting ourselves back into slavery. We allow it to take us again. And then the God has to come back and say, look, I've set you free. It is for freedom that I've set you free. I've set you free. And we allow things to drive us, set us free. This person might not love me anymore set me free so so slavery is easy it's actually day to day and i think if we're being honest in this room if i'm being honest it is one of the things that drives all of us just has slightly different names different ways and if you genuinely can say you have no button that drives you okay Genuinely, I take my half off to you. Okay. But Jesus wants us to be free. The one button that he wants to drive us is him. Because he knows how we can live to the best and the fullest and the happiest and in the greatest way. Now, you might say, well, Keith, you just said all that. Where's your proof? Well, the proof is in the lives of what happens next. So it's not part of my story, but it is part of Joseph's. I would say most of us know what happens next. But you'll see that as Joseph learns the lesson, 
as Joseph bows the knee, as Joseph goes with God, things change. I've just got enough time to make one key of a key point. God did not do this to Joseph. His brothers did this. Now God took it and used it, but God did not do this to Joseph. In our lives, when things go wrong, God does not do that to you. The world, sin, people do that. God, well, there's a guy, wasn't he, who first had to go blind before he could see. A guy called Paul. And in Romans 8, after God's been talking to him for a long time and he's starting to realise the truth of things, says an amazing thing in Romans 8. And it's something that we can get very glib about. But it's a precious verse and it's something that God's used many times and taken me back to many times. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If we're going through difficult times, God will be there and God can use it. But it doesn't mean to say he did it. Now there are times he sacrifices. He asks us to sacrifice and he might ask us to give things up for the greater good. That's what he said of Jesus. Will you give up your life for these people? He says it to us at times. Will you give this up for somebody else? That is a choice. Jesus chose and allowed himself to go to the cross. But he doesn't do horrible things to people. Okay? People go, why does this happen? Why did that happen? What did God do that for? On the whole, the answer is he didn't. So, what are you a slave to? What am I a slave to? And do you want to be free? Do you know there are times when we don't want to be free? We get so used to being a slave that we don't want to be free. God offers you today the chance. Do you want to be free? So let's pray. And Jackie's asking you later about you know, what's God doing in your life and what's, what's he, what things. Here's an opportunity. He wants you to be free. Do you want to be free? Do I want to be free? So Father, I come to you because this is something beyond us. We cannot set ourselves free, Father. We cannot do it. But I want to be free, Dad. I want to be free. And I want all my friends to be free as well. Jesus, you paid this price. You paid this price to set us free. And we are humbled. But we need you now to set us free. 
We need your help to want to be set free. We need to, your help to know how, what we need to be set free from. And then we need your power to set us free. Not just for today, but for tomorrow. And for that dark time. And the time when I'm cross. And the time when I'm tired. And the time when I'm hungry for whatever. Lord, set us free and may we follow you. So Holy Spirit now, I call on you. Come Holy Spirit. Come and fill us please. Come and forgive us for the things that we've chosen that have enslaved us. Come and forgive us for all the things we've done to people that have enslaved them. But Lord, today, Holy Spirit, set us free.